0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you are listening to Backstage Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Backstage Talk. This is your host, and today I have a new guest. With me here is Marlon Feliz. Um, hey, Marlon, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm having a nice, easy Sunday so far.
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Marlon, I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit uh, before <laughs> starting with all the deep. Um, questions I have prepared for you today.
1: <laughs> yes, all the soul-searching. <laughs> so, my name is Marlon, and I'm a dancer, performer all around in New York City. That's where I'm based. Uh, I grew up in Miami, Florida, originally. I was born in Santo Domingo to make So, um La proud Latina for Latinx. And, uh, yeah, my whole dancer, performer story started really from before I could walk (laughs) there are memories that my mom tells me about being in the crib and um, me waking up from a nap and dancing to commercials that would play on the TV and that they found that so funny and interesting that I couldn't even walk yet and yet I would manage to sort of pull myself up and hold on to the crib and dance in my crib Um, so that's really where my whole story starts uh, with family and um, with music at home and Yeah, here I am, (laughs) now in Brooklyn.
0: You were born in Santo Domingo, and under what age you were there?
1: Uh, Really, just until I was about a year old. So I I unfortunately don't really remember too much about that first year. Uh, While I was a kid, we would visit every, I would say, maybe four years. And we did, thankfully, have a lot of uh, cousins through one of my Dad's uncle's sort of an hour north of us on the north side of Miami, and um, that meant that definitely around the holidays, I was a part of big, big family gatherings, and I really treasure those those memories for sure.
0: So you grew up all around the Latin tradition for not only holidays but lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it it was. It's interesting because I think my parents are uh, were already sort of progressive in their own ways. So there very much was Dominican culture present in the household, but they also consciously chose to came to Miami and to build a new life. My mother was already, is really Dominican American. She had spent half her childhood in New York and half the other half as a teen and college in Dominican Republic. So, um, it was natural for her to come back to the U S but it was a new journey for my dad, for sure. Um. But yeah, he's a (laughs) go-getter. He's a spitfire. So I feel very much that I was blessed to have like the rootedness of a lot of Latino and Dominican traditions and values like family um, and an appreciation for really enjoying family, you know, like big family parties and holidays and such. And at the same time, you know, some of the values we love about being in the U.S., about having a real sense of opportunity and being able – and You know, that everything is possible if you're willing to work smart and work hard and all those things. So, yeah, I really feel like I got the best of both worlds.
0: Certainly (laughs) you did. Um, And first question out of everything, how do you think that the Latin heritage you have has affected your way of performing?
1: Well, you know, it's something that I still think about a lot, especially as I've gotten older, uh, I always say that my dad was my first dance partner because that's very true. I learned how to dance first and before I ever stepped in a dance studio. I learned how to dance I was with my dad um, because that's what Dominican families do <laughs> at parties, right? So um, it wasn't until like years later after tons of training and I was sort of like in my first big contract out in the world that I realized that that was the seed of where everything had started because, you know, once you get into training, you tend to get kind of far away from that, unfortunately. Um, So those traditions inform my love of music, my love of rhythm. And for me, it has always made dance a social thing because those partner dances are social dances. Mm -hmm. They come from community. They come from tradition. So, Even though I've then, you know, after just growing up doing that, I then went into ballet class, modern dance class, jazz class, hip-hop, all those things. Looking back now, a lot of the work that I've done makes so much more sense because there was that element of connecting and sharing with people. And um, it's where I want my work to continue to go, (laughs) for sure. So it's definitely this, like, I would say, like, um, foundation underneath it all.
0: Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where do you get your BFA? Because I know that you went into mm-hmm. NYU, but I want mm-hmm. to like dive a little bit into the overall journey of you from Miami all the way to New York.
1: Yeah. So, um I was, you know, it was clear from a young age that I was, it was very physical and had energy and needed to be, you know, active. So I did some gymnastics as a young kid for a couple of years. And then my mom, you know, is sort of at the point where they saw potential in me and said, if she really wants to do this, she has to commit full time, you know, like four or five nights a week. And it's kind of going to be even more intense. I guess at that point I enjoyed it, but I wasn't ready for all of that. And I apparently told my mother, cause we had a dance class sort of as part of the program. Apparently I told her that I thought I maybe liked the dancing better. <laughs> so she said, okay, well, let's switch you into dance class instead. And, they, you know, my parents didn't know much about that. So I just did sort of the easiest thing, which was an after school care dance program, which was through a college student uh, who I don't know if she was volunteering or what that situation was, but it was this sort of young Latina woman. I can't remember where she was from, but she was our teacher and she was studying. I think her BFA or MFA maybe at like FIU or something. So I started with her and I think it was just like ballet and jazz. And that was just really fun. You know, you were just like in the school auditorium after school. And then I clearly wanted to do more. So I was lucky that Miami has these um, magnet programs in a lot of middle schools and high schools where you not only do regular academics, but you do these specialized programs that you can audition for or apply for. So I, you know, auditioned for a couple different schools. And then I ended up going to the South Miami middle school, like magnet dance program, which meant that in addition to my regular courses, I think it was like three days a week. I had two or three hours in the dance program. And that's when I got much more disciplined for sure. uh, The ballet and modern and jazz training and I had a really sort of strict and she was a little bit intense kind of teacher, but she was, her name was Miss Valdez. I swear I need to send her a letter one day and thank her for all that she did for me because even though she was um, very strict or demanded a lot, she was super vibrant and very young and just like this beautiful dancer herself. So she was inspiring. And I think I thrived on getting so much information and being, being pushed um, because it was it was an encouraging environment. So that was great. And then from then it was like, okay, we're going to do this seriously even more in high school. And I was lucky to be accepted into new world school of the arts, which is, I sort of jokingly say it's kind of like the LaGuardia of Miami. Uh, So there's now more high schools that have really phenomenal programs. So this new World's no longer the only one, but at that time that was like the most prominent visible one. And that's where, my training went even more serious and became very much like concert dance focus. That that was traditional classical ballet and um, classical modern dance forms like Horton and Limon and uh, Martha Graham's, you know, like those classic techniques. So, and then from there, it became a real decision senior, junior year about whether I was going to really pursue this as my as my life's dream and, and make it a career. And um, it was terrifying, but I just knew in my heart I had to try. Like I just... I I remember asking myself after a show one day, are you you really gonna do this? Like, <laughs> are we gonna do this? I would talk to myself and I remember just sort of getting one of those inner wisdom messages that just said, You can't not try. That's it. You just have you have to go for it. And my mom was thankfully super encouraging. My parents were supportive, and they were also realistic that it was gonna be really tough, but they were, they were very much supportive of us going for it. So I then, you know, auditioned around for a couple college dance programs. I also applied to many schools as a communications major. So it it sort of became a question of whether I was going to major or double major or make dance the minor. That, that sort of became the more detailed nuanced question. And it just worked out perfectly because, uh, I could. I had to choose when I came to applying to NYU. I couldn't apply to both. I had to make one the priority. So I said, "Well, they have a phenomenal dance program. They're very well known for that. So I, I have to go for dance at NYU." And thank God that was a great audition experience. And um, I needed a ton of financial aid, and I made that very clear in my interview. <laughs> And I was able to get that. So I went to NYU and honestly, it was a perfect fit um, because their BFA program is very much conservatory style. So you're training intensively every day you're dancing and you have these dance academics and anatomy, kinesiology, dance composition, music, dance history, all of that, those like the full breadth of study that you would get in a conservatory. And yet I still was able to explore some of the outside academics in the university in order to get a full bfa degree so i am like i've always been a nerdy dancer i always liked my academics as well um so it really suited me i just felt that there was a, a good balance there for me
0: awesome i i understand that balance and that decision process between having to decide if you want to pursue this as a minor uh, pursue the arts as a minor or as another major or Fully commit as a major into the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now I I want to dive with you like head over heels uh, of your experience being a musical theater performer. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how it all started professionally as soon as you graduated.
1: Yeah. So it it actually came a little bit unexpectedly for me because that hadn't really shown up in my training, the, the dance programs I was in were always very, you know, concert dance focused. I was able to dabble a little bit my senior year um, in the BFA program at Tisch Dance, because somehow through a connection they had in the university, you, you could choose an elective that was just for smaller credits for a semester with a vocal coach. So that I got a taste of vocal training for one semester in that year. And it was something that I definitely enjoyed. It taught me a bit more about my breath and, you know, my awareness of that system in a different way than dance does. But at that time it was just sort of an interesting class, right? And I didn't give it too much more thought than that. So I got out of school and I was looking more in the concert dance arena. And then I wanted to sort of break open my possibilities. I wanted to get out of the city and travel. So I started looking at a different audition website and I started seeing all these auditions for cruise ships and for musical theater, uh, in addition to the the sort of local companies. And I was like, oh, I hadn't really thought about these options because I wasn't trained for those (laughs) options but why not? You know, like, uh, I am grateful that I just have a very, I'm a very just like hungry lifelong student. I'm always eager to learn and challenge myself. And I was genuinely excited by the prospect of traveling the world and dancing in a different way for a while. So I did some cruise ship auditions. And then the one that I booked ended up being as a dancer slash aerialist for Royal Caribbean, which was <laughs> yeah, super wild. Something I had never even thought about, but it was it was just so badass, <laughs> it was just like, doing aerial work, honestly. And I would love to do more of that. But um, I was what was awesome about the production shows on the cruise ship, you know, they weren't particularly, you know, deep. It was, like, you know, a jazzy show and a ballroom show and, like, a, you know, British pop music show. But they were fun. And I said, you know, it's, it's fine for me for this time to just, like, step into these shoes for a while. I hadn't done jazz dance at that point in like four years. Um, so it was just like really a fun change of pace. And I was dancing around singers in the show. So they're really song and dance shows and there's singer tracks and there's dancer tracks, but I had never worked around singers before. So you get to know some of those people and, you know, I get to see their talent on stage and how their training is different from mine. And, and some of them just said, you know, if you're, if you're interested, you should just, when you get back to New York, just find a teacher. I can give you some suggestions and just start training it. And they really planted in my mind this idea that, you know, that was very much possible if I wanted to explore that. And I'm grateful for them for that. And I remember them saying, listen, you're a great dancer. They always need great dancers in musical theater. If you can develop your voice enough and be strong enough and comfortable enough to just just be able to sing a decent tune. You'll find work. (laughs) And I was like, awesome. That's the goal, right? I want to be a performer for a living. So then I got back to the city, and I started taking some vocal lessons, and I just went ham on the musical theater auditions. I swear that those first six months, I didn't know what I was doing. I definitely... I just showed up, which I think is something that I tell people all the time. Sometimes you just have to just show up and figure it out.
0: But do we really know what we're doing when we're auditioning?
1: Right. Does anybody know? (laughs) No, you, you you learn how to not know. You learn how to be okay with not knowing, with that uncertainty. So, I, but they gave me, you know, the basics. My teacher helped me get just some a cup, just like two or three very simple audition cuts. So she was really really wonderful. Just like working with her, that was exciting for those six months because I could feel this new level of growth happening for me as a performer. It, it was an, another way of communicating that was exciting, and of course, it was still really scary, but. Um, I think that's just the two sides of the same coin, exciting and scary (laughs) at the same time. That's how it goes. So that's really how I ended up pursuing musical theater. And then after those, I would say maybe six to eight months of like heavy auditioning with musical theater and doing some vocal training, I booked my first musical, which was a non-union tour of Saturday Night Fever. And that's how I ended up in the musical theater world. Um... I just realized, actually, correction, all of this happened not right after the cruise ship. Right after the cruise ship, I actually auditioned for Pilabolus and started working with them. And then I worked with them for a year. And then when I got back from that, from that work a year later is when I sort of had the space to say, okay, what if we try this? Because, yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. so you, you just mentioned Pilabolus. This is a company, a yes. dance company. Um, that's right. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you've you've got the chance to experience being part of different groups, dance groups, um, and and that's awesome because you you either can do pure entertainment dance and pure entertainment shows like you did in the cruise ship, um, mm-hmm. but with this company, it was a more I don't. I don't want to say serious, because the cruise ship. I know it needs like a level of professionalism to do that show. But mm-hmm. this is a dance company, an established yeah. dance company, and it's another completely different environment. How was? Absolutely. How was being part of that company?
1: Oh, it was wild and so enriching, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. So, I what was interesting for me is you know, Palablis. I think now they just go by Palabalist, but at the time there was sort of distinction. There was Palabolist Dance Theater, which is the formal modern dance company, you know, side of them that was, you know, seven members, usually based full time in Connecticut, rehearsing and then touring nationally and internationally. So at the time I came in, they had that arm happening. And at the same time, they had this whole, this huge production that they had created, with some dancers that mixed their their classic modern dance partnering work that they're very much known for with a new form called shadow theater or shadow dance where you you would perform stories essentially behind a screen in silhouette because you would be in front of a projector and you can create all these incredible shapes and images using not just your own body, but combining your silhouette with someone else's, and contorting yourself into all these wild shapes to make different imagery, and also really play characters that were just a bit more um, characters that you could just you wouldn't be able to play in just regular live mm-hmm. theater. So when I came in, they had a Shadowland arm that had already been touring that show Shadowland, which was their only full length, evening length show, that was one, you know, they, 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 most of their shows with Palabra's Dance Theater were included maybe six or seven pieces in the evening, right? A Shadowland show, you just saw Shadowland because it was a full hour and a half long journey. So I ended up being hired for the Shadowland cast, and I was flown to Australia to learn the show in, uh, in sort of the final leg of that tour at the time. Um, and I wasn't supposed to form, perform during that time, I was just supposed to learn, but then something happened and some performers had to leave. So after a couple of weeks of sort of learning backstage, I, I had one day to really get it together and I had to perform. And that was my intro to Palabalos, which is like, there was that moment pretty early on of like, okay, you know, the basics, like. We just gotta go for it, <laughs> uh, just, we just, just like a, an understudy. What their energy is <laughs> yeah.
0: Just like an understudy, you were thrown on stage. You're like, hey, the main character, the main performer can't do it, and I, you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, thankfully it wasn't like the lead role. That would have been insane. But um, it was still every character in that show, every dancer had scenes where they were a prominent character. Um, and the character that I. Was learning, the circus queen is what they call her, uh, was very theatrical and she dominated a scene. She really had to lead the scene with her theatricality. She, she did less movement than other people in that, but she was like the host of that scene. So, and that was my first time doing that kind of work that was really dance theater, that, that really emphasized character as much as movement. So, yeah, it was this huge learning curve, but it, I just, like, tackled it <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, because I knew what an incredible opportunity that was. So, the majority of my work with Palladlis over, I would say, about, like, five years was touring Shadowland internationally, and then I sort of was in the city doing other things for a few months, and then I went back to working with them when they were developing Shadowland 2 and I took on a lead role in that show um and we toured that and then uh you know come in and out of the city between these these shorter tours and then we did some national touring of Shadowland a bit and uh some of the last big things that I was able to do with them were this just like full circle moments where I got to learn and step into the lead role of Shadowland, which is um, called the dog girl. People can look up some of those things on, on YouTube, the dog transformation. And I had wanted to learn that role and do that role since I had first joined the company. So it was really amazing, you know, to see that progression happen and to have that opportunity a few years down the line. Um, yeah. So it was a very unique experience working with Flawless, because there's just like, there's very few groups out in the world who are doing shadow dance theater. And obviously no one else is pilavolus. <laughs> so that's a one-of-a-kind experience that I'm really blessed to have had. Um, yes, and um, I sort of have to explain to people that I didn't have the sort of typical... the typical dance company experience where you're touring repertory. I, I did get a chance in a in, a, in sort of the, a... Uh, a couple of years ago to do some of their repertory pieces and some national shows here. Um, but I, I didn't have the sort of typical dance company experience, which looking back now, I'm like, well, nothing in my career has been typical. So or just or at least to my eye, it seems that way that nothing was predictable. Everything was a new challenging surprise. And um, I think that suits my personality a lot, honestly.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you on that. So, talking about touring the world and touring nationally, what do you think was the biggest lesson you learned as a professional mm-hmm. during all those experiences?
1: Uh, a few things. Certainly as a professional, though those touring experiences were my introduction to the H-Show Week. So that was a hardcore lesson in energy management and learning how to take care of yourself and to sustain and build longevity. So you really start to get clear on what the intention is of what you're doing at any point in the show and how to give it your best effort based on what you have to offer that day. Mm -hmm. And if you have, if you're in a matinee and you know you have to do an evening and you have two shows tomorrow, like that's what the weekend is you have to pay you have to learn how to pace yourself and I, I don't mean that in a way that's it's never a lazy thing I you know there's it's, there's horrible phrase I've heard that people sometimes use about when a performer's quote-unquote phoning it in which is like they're there but they're not really fully present I could never accept doing a show that way but there is a way for you to give just enough energy to do what you have to do without breaking yourself <laughs> because you have not just a long week to get through, but you have four months to get through. Um, so that was the big lesson, I think, from that as a professional. is, um, And also I think it was an awareness for me at that point that my career was really no longer just about my own love of dance and performing. It really has to become about the audience and you trying to connect with them and give them the best possible experience. That is where the sense of service comes into play so I I started to develop that awareness for sure at that point and um and then on a personal level I think maybe I don't know how much this relates to the professional lessons but for me I also I think really learned what it meant to um nourish yourself when you're far away from family and friends you have to really have to learn how to practice that like uh and be comfortable with your own company I would go on long walks through cities Mm -hmm. on a day off and wander all day by myself and pop into cafes and do things like that. And sometimes I would do things with castmates, but other times you just want a break from your colleagues. So you have, you really have to learn how to be content with your own company. And at the same time, I think after doing that for a bit, I learned that even that sometimes isn't enough. And you also really have to, cultivate and maintain your relationships at home to feed yourself so that you don't get too isolated. You have to make those phone calls back home and call the family and call the friends, even though you're in a different world and uh, it's hard to explain everything that's happening and you're tired and such. um, Over time, I realized that I I was not good at that (laughs) and um, I needed to become much better at really not just keeping in touch, but really staying connected. So it's uh, since I've been more stateside in the last few years, um, I really worked hard to to carry that with me.
0: <laughs> You're part of a group of 33 performers that had their Broadway debut with West Side Story, right? Yes, that's right. First, congratulations for that! Like, thank you. <laughs> as, as a Broadway obsessed geek. Uh, Mm -hmm. knowing that someone made the Broadway debut is like, goals for me. (laughs) Oh my God, absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: Um, How was your Broadway (laughs) debut? I mean, it must have been insane.
1: Yeah, it was super, you know, what's super surreal is to me, I think there was some level of confusion because uh, on our first preview, which, you know, a lot of people know but I want to say it clearly, Westside had a notoriously long preview period of, two, of about two months uh, before our official opening night. So it was in December of 2018 when we did our first preview. I, in my mind, hadn't really considered that my official debut. I knew it was my first time officially performing on a Broadway stage. So I knew that was still a big deal. But we got to the end of the show, and um, I didn't realize this, but our, you know our lead actor, Isaac, made... A sort of little speech that I guess somebody had set up with him and to acknowledge all the debuts that were happening. So then we got these applause for making our debuts. And I had this moment of like, wait, oh, this is it? This is the moment? <laughs> this is the debut? Because I was thinking in my mind that the official debut was in February on opening night. So I was like, I was almost like I was unprepared um, to, to see it that way in that moment. And then I looked over and I saw one of the other dancers who was a, you know, very moder- modern contemporary temporary based dancer like me. And she was tearing up and I was like, oh, my God, this is the moment. <laughs> so I think it, it took a second for, for it to really sink in to me. It was uh, it was just surreal. It, it, I just sort of had that realization at the end of the show. And it was so many things at once. It was like, wow, we finally got through this extensive rehearsal period. And here we put on the show fully for an audience for the first time that felt huge and to feel all the elements come together, all the technical elements, that was a huge thing there. And yet I still knew there was still so much left to go. So yeah, it was just surreal is the best word I have for it. Um, I think to, in my heart, are like the, the completion of my debut was our official opening night. Cause then it was like, yes, this is, this is the show. We, we don't change it from here. Um, yeah, but that's, that's
0: what it was like for me in my head. <laughs> I'm used to not having previews. So it's mm-hmm. just you rehearse and then it's opening night and closing night and bye-bye. Right. So it, right. it must have been like a, a, a change, a really big change in expectations yep. and in your brain to be like, right. which, one, which of, of those both nights is really my opening night?
1: <laughs> right. Time I had that dilemma because I also had I did not have previews before. So definitely I was like, oh, oh, you know, it was it was um it was just a wild introduction to Broadway world, really.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how was being part of this reinvention of a classic? Because a couple wait, of, wait, episodes wait. of episodes back, I had uh Chris Lunar that he was a stage manager for the show. Yeah, and he was like, "This is the millennial version of a classic," and West Side is right. just basically New York's background music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it, this is just when you think about New York, the only thing I can think about is Jerome Robbins' choreography <laughs> in the middle of the street in the opening. Mm-hmm. Room. So how was being part of this reinvention of the classic?
1: For me, it was super exciting, and it also just made perfect sense as, as a first Broadway show for me, because of all of those themes, because of the New York background, and at that point, New York had really become my adult home, and... um and I, I, there was definitely acknowledge it in my life already that New York is a really tough place. It's a really exciting place, but it's a really tough place as well. And of course, as a Latina dancer, actress, there weren't a lot of... Um, I hadn't seen a lot in musical theater that really resonated with my own life. And this very much clearly did. <laughs> so it was just really exciting for me to sort of come in... With an understanding of the place that West Side Story holds in the canon, in the musical theater canon, but I didn't have the tight attachment to the classic that a lot of uh, I think like um, musical theater like diehard fans have, and I really respect that that attachment. I, I just personally. It, it wasn't that intense for me. I really appreciated the classic, but I had never seen the show live anyway. I had only ever seen the movie. And I'm a person who just loves taking on new challenges and seeing things develop in interesting ways. So I was really open to seeing how they were going to bring it into the new, you know, new century. I, I really do. You can describe it as the you know West Side Story for the millennial generation. I also think it's... A West Side Story for the 21st century. Um, just all of the elements that were brought in to reflect more of the modern world that we live in. So, yeah, it was it was just stimulating, not only in an emotional, satisfying sense, and physically as a dancer and as an actor, but it was it sort of fed my nerdy, intellectual side a bit too to sort of, to see the the reinterpretations happening, to watch that work unfold and what decisions are being made and yeah so there's there was just so so much to soak in
0: and I think you you just said a thing that for me is so important right now and you just said that this show or this this new version this revival of the show was the (laughs) moment in which you felt Represented in the musical theater as a Latin mm-hmm. uh, performer. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. And this is, I think that whenever Broadway's back after the pandemic, this is something we must take a couple of minutes to digest and really think about. And it's representation. Uh, because there are a lot of people, Latin people, Asian people, people from abroad the United States that want to be part of musical theater, that don't have the opportunity to feel represented on a Broadway stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm happy to know that in your experience, it did happen. It has happened to me too. Um, And I think that is a chance everyone deserves.
1: Absolutely. I mean, America is, we like to say that it's a melting pot, but... But all all the ingredients in that pot have not always been centered. <laughs> that's that's the reality. The the classic musical theater canon, you know, or or old glamour Hollywood, those those classical arts and entertainment sort of markers. I mean, we just have to say it plainly. They 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 predominantly represent white America. But there are other Americans here, <laughs> and there've always been other Americans. I mean. You, Native Americans are the first, so let's be very clear about that. But then there's always been Latinos here. There's always been Black Americans. So there's no reason why our mm-hmm. musical theater shouldn't represent all Americans. Um, and I, I really feel at this point, the conversations that are happening in the industry, thankfully, are going beyond mere representation on stage. It's really not enough to just see all the colors of the rainbow on stage that's a step forward from Mm -hmm. the past but what we're really getting at now is we want a diversity of stories being told from a diversity of communities and that every community gets to have a say in telling their story that they should lead the telling of their story so that's a much bigger conversation that's happening it's we we've had it you know, with cast members and, you know, with with West Side Story a bit, with some leadership. And I I hear whispers, I think, that's happening and certainly in other productions. So I think everybody is very much, you know, ready to see that work develop when things come back.
0: Now I wonder, I, I want to throw at you a couple questions that have been on my mind, and it's, what are those (laughs) things that they don't teach you at school that you learn in real life on Broadway? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, those are, these are like the life skills, right, that I am very passionate about talking about, and I, I, because I didn't get enough of that for sure in, in school and such, and there's a few things, one of the things is what I mentioned about learning on tour what it really means to be a professional. And that and that means that, you know, your art is no longer just for yourself. It's now also your job. It's your profession. You are serving the audience and other people with your work. So that comes with a higher level of demand in terms of managing your energy and giving it your very, very best and a certain amount of discipline in terms of preparing for every single show to give your absolute best. So there's that. And then I think that that energy management and such ties into how you're managing your time. I literally just did a workshop at the actors fund called time and energy management. Cause I can recognize that that's a skill that needs constant practice, how you're directing or scheduling your day and what, and that really comes down to what you're prioritizing and how, what you're prioritizing needs to tie into what your ultimate goals are and what you truly value. So Learning how to manage, for example, when I first got out of school, auditioning with having side jobs, with also just wanting to have some kind of a social life still because I'm a human being. And I think especially as, you know, like hustling performers, we tend to sometimes not take the best care of ourselves health wise or take care of our personal lives as well because we're trying so hard to get where we want to go. But ultimately, that's not a sustainable way of living. We have to, we all have to find our balance and that's going to be different from everyone, but finding a way to balance the different aspects of your life is really important. You do need to have time for your health. You do need to have time for your family and you have time for your friends. You need quiet time by yourself to listen to your own inner voice. That's, I, I find that, especially as an artist, if you lose that connection to your deep inner voice, things just start to fall apart. It it becomes too hard. It's hard enough as it is to be in this industry. And if you lose that spark or the, you're, you're sort of like guiding light at a certain point, it's just not worth it. Right. So you have to, I think, keep feeding yourself at a soul level. And that happens sometimes through the work. Yes, absolutely. I have felt these beautiful spiritual moments on stage but that's not the only place that you can access that, right? You can do it through meditation, through yoga practice, through going for long walks, through like if you have a partner looking into their eyes and just like, you know, making time for the person you love. So energy and time management, as sort of clinical and boring as that sounds on the surface, <laughs> really are are key to your day to to what your day-to-day is gonna feel like. Mm-hmm. Because you have to manage those things every day, every week, every month. And then the other huge thing that underlies this, which, you know, I'm jokingly thinking to myself, like, this is a hill I'm willing to die on talking about this, is really being open and honest about the conversation around money as an artist and how there's this... Well, it's a broader cultural inclination to not want to talk about money. It's still sort of this lingering taboo that it's impolite or inappropriate. But who does it really serve to not talk about money? I don't think it actually serves anyone except for the person maybe who doesn't have your best interests at heart. It serves them (laughs) that kind of silence. So we need to talk with each other as artists about how we're using money to sustain our careers and our artistic passions and to sustain ourselves because we're human beings and we live in a, you know, capitalist system and we need, we need money to feed ourselves and have rent and all those things. So those things matter. I think we need to shy away from this idea that, you know, if I'm an artist I can't care about money it's the opposite you need to care because it's going to sustain you and allow you to continue to pursue your art and it doesn't mean we have to idolize it not at all but we do need to respect it
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it is it 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 weaves itself through every aspect of our life so that is another huge you know I'm not going to I'm not a financial coach so I'm not going to try and you know, teaches a a seminar on that at this moment. But I had to do so much self-learning, learning learning by picking up personal finance books and um, picking up certain digital tools to help me understand how to sort of make a budget and have a a sense of what I truly needed every month. And then how do I get beyond just getting by and start to actually build savings because we we do, as humans, like need to think a little bit more long-term. Yeah, so that's another huge thing that on the whole, the industry needs to be more honest about is that, um, that money really matters and that everybody starts from a different place and has different levels of generational wealth or lack thereof. (laughs) And, uh, that comes with, you know, different privileges. So I just, I just want to dust off (laughs) this sort of shame around, around money and, and we need to talk about it the way we talk about like our health, because they're intertwined.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. One last question before you go, and this is a no brainer. <laughs> top five favorite musical theater shows. Go.
1: That's actually really hard for me. <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll be honest because I, there's still so many I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the real honest. But from what I what I do know, I West Side is obviously <laughs> in that top list uh Hamilton I had not gotten to see it I haven't been able to see it live but I saw it on Disney Plus and oh it just like fills my soul Hamilton is up there uh, honestly what else have I really wanted I feel like I need to include things that I really want to see maybe <laughs> I don't know I definitely had a really phenomenal time doing Saturday Night Beaver so it's always gonna have a special place in my heart I think I maybe just need to leave you with three that I've been connected with that I have been or want to be connected with um because those are pretty top of mind for me. For awesome. sure.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much., uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot.
1: Uh, oh yeah, same. Thank you so much for inviting me on to, to chat. We could talk for forever about this.
0: yes, this and a life for living like, honestly i want I want you to be back uh in the future and like go even deeper on this personal life professional skills we've talked about because I think that there that is a really off. yeah the, there are critical points that we need to address in the industry and, and mm-hmm. we need to address them uh now that the industry is in, in in is is reinventing itself and we have all these changes going on around us. So Marlon, Absolutely. thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been amazing. Uh, and where can our listeners find you?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the best way to just be able to sort of follow along with the things I'm up to is through Instagram. So that is um, my name, Marlon, the femme, that's F-E-M-M-E. My inspiration was that sort of was, you know, the femme fatale. Idea, I, I love that archetype, not going to lie. So Marlon the Femme, just because a lot of times when people read my name on paper, they assume I'm going to be a guy. And then I show up and they're like, oh, <laughs> that's not what I expected. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> so I think that was the tongue in cheek inspiration for my Instagram handle. Marlon the Femme. Marlon the Femme. And, uh, you know, sometimes I do take breaks. I'm not constantly posting, but anything that matters is going to. Show up there for sure, and um, I'm really I'm going to say it here to hold myself accountable. Um, my plan is this year to finally get a website up because I want to have a platform to share more of what I've done in a like clean, cohesive way, and hopefully develop another way to connect with folks. You have this wonderful podcast, which I think is so incredible to be able to not just build an audience but build a community to talk about all these wonderful topics with. And I'm thinking a lot about how I might do something of that sort myself whether it's you know blogging or podcasting or you know interview calls i don't know (laughs) but yeah so that stay tuned if anyone's really interested for a possible future you know website reveal yes
0: well thank you so much big hugs and see you next time
1: yes thank you talk soon
0: thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of backstage talk Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast.